Welcome to another edition of ATL Prime Sports. I'm JJ Jurjevich. Joining me this evening is the one, the only Wayne Ridenauer in Memphis, Tennessee. You can find ATL Prime Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at ATL Prime Sports. And you can search ATL Prime Sports on Apple and Spotify as well. Our personals at JJ Get You One for myself, at RWY Jr. for Wayne, and at Quarter Todd, C O R D E R T O D D for Todd Quarter, who is on vacation this evening again. And uh, Wayne, how you doing tonight, buddy? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm excited about football. I think it's because Texas is still keeps doing their flip flop stuff on baseball. Win a few, lose a few. Win a few, lose a few. It's starting to get irritating. <laughs> I'm doing fairly well myself. I'm loving uh, that former UFC champion Conor McGregor was cast into the remake of the 1980s hit Roadhouse. Interesting to see how this one goes. Uh, he will play an original role. Jake Gyllenhaal is the star in the movie. Uh, it's expected to be on Amazon in the next year or so, I assume. And also, uh, we will take a moment of, of uh, silence, remembrance of Vince Scully and Bill Russell, who uh, left this world in the last week, the last couple days of each other. Uh, we'll talk about that with our guest, Dave Cohen, uh, Major League Baseball's trade deadline, and uh, was last year a rebuilding year for Nick Saban? <laughs> Question mark. That's what's on tap for today. And Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guest, friend of the show. We welcome back Dave Cohen, voice of the Georgia State Panthers. Dave, good to have you back on. How are you doing this evening? I'm good, guys. How you doing? Good to be back with you. It's been a while. It has been. It's been too long. A little off season there, and we uh, got into the college baseball, and here we are now, ramping up for college football season. Ready to have you back on. So uh, that brings me to my first question. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the college football in a second, but with Vin Scully passing, uh, you know, he's called some of the greatest moments in baseball history, Dave. Uh, Aaron's 715, Kirk Gibson's uh, World Series home run in 88, Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series in 56. Uh, your comment on uh, Vin Scully's passing and give us one of your favorite moments uh, with Vin Scully on the call. Well, it's not a favorite moment, but it's the 1986 World Series, Boston Red Sox, New York Mets, bounding ground ball to first gets by Buckner. <laughs> and that was, uh, what, I think Ray Knight came in to score to tie it, if I remember correctly. So uh, I can still hear that in my head, and the ball gets by Buckner, you know, whatever the final call was there. People think that won the World Series for the Mets. It didn't. That was just Game 6. It went to a Game 7, a Game 7 that the Red Sox had a 3 nothing lead in, by the way, and could not hold on to, but... I'm you know I'm trying to remember back in the early days of my radio career covering all those Braves games back in the uh, mid '80s, late '80s at Old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. I don't have a picture of myself with Mr. Scully, but I know I, in passing, at least said hello and probably introduced myself because even back then he was an icon. Uh, radio voice of the Dodgers with everything that he had done. You know, it's interesting that he was with one team his entire career, starting out in Brooklyn when you think about it and how rare that is these days to find players, never mind broadcasters, who spend their entire career, 
not necessarily in the same city because he moved with them from Brooklyn to Los Angeles, but to stay, stay with the same franchise your entire career. And, you know, I know we say this about other people, athletes, stars, broadcasters that pass. We'll never have or never see another one like him. I think that Vince Scully definitely falls under that category. There'll never be someone again who spends upwards of 60 years as a broadcaster with one franchise. Yeah, it's very impressive, his career. Uh, and going back, me being a young guy and realizing he was with Brooklyn, he goes out west with the team. He calls 56, the 88 series. Hank Aaron's 715. You're just like, wow, this guy was around for a lot of baseball moments. Pretty cool. Um, prayers and thoughts go out to uh, Vin Scully and family. Well, uh, we'll talk about – go ahead. Let me say this, too, because this is a lost art in sports broadcasting. Not only was Vin Scully a sports broadcaster, a play-by-play guy, but if you've listened, even going back on YouTube to any of his, not even the most memorable broadcasts, but any broadcast, he was a storyteller. You know, his experience in his years allowed him to convey to the viewer or the listener things that he'd seen since he was in his early 20s when he joined the Brooklyn Dodgers. The players that he got to know, the players that he got, whose careers he got to call, whether it's a Jackie Robinson all the way through a Fernando Valenzuela, all the way through uh, a Kirk Gibson, you know, all the way through the modern-day Los Angeles Dodgers up until his last broadcast. But he was a storyteller, and you don't find that in sports broadcasting as much. I even admit, you know, I've been – this will be my 40th year at Georgia State, and I can storytell a little bit. Because of what I've seen over the span of 40 years, more specifically basketball and I guess 13 years with football at Georgia State, but nobody will ever have the kind of career that he had over a span of 60 years and the experiences and the peoples whose paths he crossed. I just, in today's world of media, I don't see that happening again. I agree with you. I don't think it will uh, with contracts the way they are. And just you mentioned that uh, things being said, moving on from, from team to team. So uh, you're a Boston guy, Boston sports fan, Dave. What did Bill Russell mean to the NBA and yourself? Another uh, somber note here as we lose uh, another great sports icon. Yeah, well, you know, here's another, here's another thing that I put under the category will probably never happen again in the history of sports. Everybody marvels at Michael Jordan. And I do, too. He was a great player. Again, covered Hawks games when he would come in as a Chicago Bull. My one regret, my first year, the very, very, very first year I arrived at Georgia State, I was a part of the broadcast crew, but I did not travel to every single game. The guy who was doing play-by-play before me, Brent, did that. Georgia State played North Carolina at Carmichael Auditorium, and Jordan played in that game. And it still bothers me to this day in a fun kind of way that I didn't get to make that trip to see Jordan play against Georgia State. Point being, Jordan won six titles. 
He won one collegiate national championship with North Carolina, the famous shot against Georgetown at the Superdome in New Orleans that basically won it for the Tar Heels and gave Dean Smith his first national championship. And how many gold medals did he win? I know he won, obviously, the dream team with Bird Magic and that loaded and Barkley and that loaded first team. He, that was a gold medal. How many did he win? Two or three? I think two or three, yeah. All right, think about it. Bill Russell, albeit in the earlier days of the NBA and college basketball while playing at San Francisco for the Dons, wins two NCAA championships in college, 11 NBA titles in what was the NBA for that day, and even won a gold medal in the Olympics. I don't know that anyone will have a career that spans long enough in modern sports today what it is and being what it is that they'll be able to replicate anything like that that he did. Look at Jordan, the greatest modern player in our era. He won six, which is great. But it's still five less than Bill Russell. But Bill Russell was so much more than just a basketball player. If you've seen any of the tributes across media outlets, whether it's TV or if you've listened on the radio, or, he was a head coach, first black head coach, um, was involved with, Mah you know, was, was right there with Muhammad Ali and with Martin Luther King. Yes, very much. Uh, the civil rights movement. No. A, civil, a big, big part of the civil rights movement that he really does not get a lot of modern-day credit for, you know, uh, like some of the other figures, like a Jackie Robinson, like a Muhammad Ali. Again, iconic figures to the nth degree. That I mean, no. Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, they're beyond what we know as famous. Those are iconic historical figures above and beyond sports. Bill Russell was right there with him through a lot of that, but for whatever reason, is not normally recognized as having played that role to the level that those guys did. And Russell played in Boston during an era where race relations were not what I'll term fantastic, to, to use a, a, a crazy word for that kind of a situation. Russell played in Boston when it was tough for an African-American athlete, as great as he was. Big, big yeah. loss. I don't, again, it's it's great that uh, the, the fans of his generation were able to see him. It's great that those of us of the following generations have hopefully gotten to see video and gotten to hear from him uh, and gotten to um, recognize what a great career he had on and off the court and what a great athlete he was. Um, but it's... Uh, you know, a huge loss for the world of sports uh, for players of that era. I don't know that we'll see a player like that come along again in the future no. of sports with those to put up those kind of numbers. Yeah, well, you know, thank goodness we have the availability these days to look at a historical record on video via the Internet of all of these achievements. Here, Vince Gully called these uh, games – uh, some of the accomplishments of Bill Russell. So, um, you know, like when you and I were growing up, the uh, best we could do was maybe a magazine article that had some pictures in it. Or if some network wanted to reshow a game from the days of yore or something. But, uh, you know, looking forward to the uh, upcoming football season, I know you just had media days. Uh, 
and you've got any news from that? And uh, Memphis starts off their season at Mississippi State. We have to go down to Starkville. Are there any away games that um, you're looking forward to for Georgia State? Well, you know, we're going to find out right out of the gate where we are as a football program. Coming off what was the best season win total-wise for Georgia State football. This will be our 13th season. Remember last year when we were doing these podcast interviews, at one point we were one in four. Yeah. I was a little worried, to say the least. And to Georgia State's credit, you know, I've said this, and I know it's kind of a cliche, but they do really take on the um, personality of their head coach, Sean Elliott, who I think has been a fantastic hire for Georgia State. But coming off an eight-win season after starting out one and four to finish – uh, eight and five, and to win a bowl game for the second consecutive year, third consecutive year they've been in a bowl game. Remember, this is a program that was only 12 years old yeah, and wasn't even FBS level that entire 12 years. Um, but we open up September 3rd on a Saturday night, Williams-Brice Stadium, Columbia, South Carolina, against the Gamecocks, which for Sean Elliott, if you're familiar with his career, where was he before Georgia State? Well, he was yeah. an assistant coach on the staff at South Carolina under Steve Spurrier. And when Spurrier decides midseason that he's had enough and for whatever reason wants to step away, who did South Carolina choose to be their interim head coach for the final six games of the regular season? Coach Elliott. None yeah. other than Sean Elliott. So – He's going to be able to go back in, and he's from the state of South Carolina and has relatives, as he told me while we were in New Orleans, who have graduated from the University of South Carolina. Coach Elliott did not. He's an, he's an Appalachian State grad, exactly. So, you know, yes, he's excited about being able to take what should be and what is a pretty good Georgia State football team back into the stadium that he worked in prior to coming to Georgia State and hopefully give South Carolina the kind of football game that Georgia State gave Tennessee and Knoxville in 2019 because who do we have week two? We're back at Center Park Credit Union Stadium. First time a Power 5 program will visit Atlanta and Georgia State in the Tar Heels of North Carolina. So we're going to find out pretty quickly in the first two weeks where we stand, Georgia State football, where Georgia State stands uh, from a preparedness standpoint heading into this 2022-2023 season. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, oh, go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, go I ahead. was going to say that uh, South Carolina is one of my uh, dark horse teams in the SEC as a whole, but uh, especially for the SEC East, and I think that's one of the team Georgia needs to look out for. I think you might be right, Wayne. You're listening to Dave Cohen right here on ATL Prime Sports. You can find Dave on Twitter at GA State Voice. Dave, my final question's a two-parter. You may, We mentioned part of it right there. Uh, the opening day storyline for the conference has to be how many Power 5 teams you guys are facing. I count six, including that trip to Columbia. Give us a preview of the Sunbelt Conference in general and uh, – you, you you already nailed a little bit of the uh, head I'm about to say. Uh, you know, give us a little bit more preview in depth to Georgia State this fall and what to expect following up one of, if not the best season statistically for the Panthers. 
Well, let me say it was a fantastic media day. I was happy to be in New Orleans. You know, it's a 14-team league now. It might be the best five league in the conference. Right. And they, they, listen, they even intimated that there's a possibility that there could be a 15th team somewhere down the line. But, but you know, they weren't ready, obviously, to release anything. But media day was so big this year that we, we arrived in New Orleans on a Monday, the 26th of July, and the, or the 25th, and the 26th was the Sunbelt East, and the 27th was the Sunbelt West. Now, I know the SEC media days are four days in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame, so we're half that. We're a, a Tuesday and a Wednesday, Sunbelt East, Sunbelt West, but I thought it was a fantastic uh, Sunbelt Conference football media day. They did a fantastic job at the, uh, at the uh, Sheraton Hotel in downtown New Orleans. Look, look, the Sunbelt East is loaded. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say, it's always tough to look at it in the preseason and, and pick winners. But when you look at the Sunbelt East with Appalachian State, with Coastal Carolina, with Georgia State, with Marshall being one of the four new teams coming in the league, three of them coming into the East in James Madison, which was in the semifinals of the FCS playoffs a year ago, and the Monarchs of Old Dominion joining Georgia State and Georgia Southern, the Sun Belt East is a beast, and it's going to be a real tough road to hoe, not just for Georgia State, but for everybody, because there's not yeah. really an easy game on that schedule, if you want to use the word easy in quotations. Sun Belt West, Billy Napier left Louisiana for the Florida Gators. They've got a new head coach. They lost a number of players to the transfer portal, as did a number of teams, number of players coming in from the transfer portal. But I would still say that right now, looking at just what everybody did a year ago, that Louisiana Lafayette would be the favorite in the Sunbelt West. Arkansas State, South Alabama is improving. Uh, Troy is improving middle to the top of the, the standings there. Louisiana, Monroe. Who knows? We'll see them late in the season. But we already know Appalachian State is a strong football team. Coastal Carolina won 11 games last year. We beat them in Conway. We know Marshall is a good program year in and year out. They won seven games last year um, in Conference USA. We're coming off an eight-win season. So the Sun Belt East is going to be a little tougher, I think, to predict. I think Louisiana Lafayette in the Sun Belt West. So... I'm just looking forward to the opening game. We start practice on Friday, and we'll have, what, just under 30 practice sessions to get ready before they board the buses to head over to Columbia for the September 3rd showdown with the South Carolina Gamecocks. And let me just make a final comment. There is absolutely no need for a sequel to Roadhouse. <laughs> I, I agree with you that's why i thought it was kind of funny that's why i let off with it on the show absolutely hysterical you do not need to remake a classic like that uh, i will let you go with this comment our question really uh, with all the conference realignment when it settles down uh how's this going to affect georgia state and the sunbelt conference do you still see the college, uh, the FC, or FBS operating as a whole, or do you see the Power Five breaking away from the FBS? How, how, how does this work, you think, now? You know, I don't know if at the end of the day, the top 40 or the top 50 
Power Five programs are ready to break away from the NCAA overall. Can they take just their football programs and leave and keep all of their other sports under the NCAA umbrella? I don't know. That's the $64,000 question. You know, I think the chase for money that's being waved around by national television has really jaded a lot of programs. Is it really necessary for UCLA and USC to have all of their teams other than football flying back and forth across the country for games in Piscataway, New Jersey against Rutgers and College Park, Maryland against the Maryland Terrapins? Women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, softball, tennis, name a sport. Is it really necessary? What about the student athlete? You know, everybody, not everybody, a lot of programs talk out of both sides of their mouth. We're here yeah. for the betterment of the student athlete and the student athlete this and the student athlete that. No, they're not. Everybody's standing with their hands out waiting for television money. That's what they're waiting for. Yep. It's, you know, it, I, I find it the same way. I, I think the general public and all these TV deals don't realize how valuable the lower end of the FBS is to make up those bowl games. There's still interest in it. There's still fans. There's still a Sunbelt Media Days that has a lot of hype around it from the teams that are playing and the student athletes that are involved with these teams. So I, I think there's still going to be an FBS level with the Power Five included. I just think you'll see the Power Five expand to God knows how big. But I, I think the Sun Belt will survive. I think you're right about that, Dave. Dave, we're out of time. Tell our listeners how they can catch the Panther Insider podcast and uh, tell us how, tell our listeners how they can catch you again on Twitter. All right. Let me make one final comment with regards to that breakaway. Please. And you guys can talk about this. Where it would really affect the Sun Belt, the other G5 conferences and FCS, non conference games. If the Power Five, however many, 40 or 50 of them break away and they, they stop play playing, they stop and they only play each other, well, what happens to all those guarantee games? The TV money would no longer filter down to the G5 and would no longer filter down to those FCS programs that play Power Five programs. So I'll just leave it at that. That's another $64,000 question because a lot of those schools really bank, for lack of a better term, on that money to prop up their budgets athletically year in and year out. You know, um, that's what I was saying with the bottom of the FBS, and, and I, I hate to group it like that in terms of Georgia versus Georgia State here. You know, the bottom of the FBS what it is. Still, still makes up enough money to, to, to hold water and fight for their own. So you nailed it on the head. Go ahead and finish, Dave. I'm sorry. Nope. The latest Panther Insider podcast came out today, as a matter of fact. It features Blake Carroll, our inside linebacker, and Malik Sumter, our starting center, both all preseason Sunbelt Conference. You can find that if you follow me on Twitter, at GA State Voice. It's also available online at georgiastatesports.com. And, um, again, Georgia State will open practice on Friday uh, and then uh, open up the college football season, their 13th season. September 3rd against South Carolina. 
Yeah, and uh, you can also get on that mailing list too for the uh, podcast. Uh, that's that's how I keep up with it. <laughs> okay, so you're the one. Oh yeah, right. You're the one on the mailing list, Wayne. Right. Well, I appreciate I, it. Well, I get it in my Gmail, so the same way as I get the uh, show for you know ATL Prime Sports. So. Well, Dave, we always appreciate your time. Go Panthers, and uh, we'll talk at you soon. All right, appreciate it. Always good to be on with you guys. Have a good night. All right. You as well. That's Dave Cohen, voice of the Georgia State Panthers, football, baseball, men's basketball. Let's move on with the show. Uh, Major League Baseball trade deadline was August 2nd. It came and it went and it was fast and it was furious. Let's talk about some of the blockbuster deals around the league. Wayne, what, uh, what deal stood out to you the most? I'll ask you first, man. Well, you know, I'm so jaded at uh, my team, the Rangers, that uh, I didn't even really look at too much of that. I know that they did some picture pitcher swapping, and uh, as poor as the ER, overall ERA of the Texas uh, pitching is, I don't know that they could do much worse. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of movement, a uh, lot more movement with the expanded playoffs. A lot of teams think they can still get that final wild card spot. Uh, i tell you one of the biggest trades of the day, we all know, Juan Soto, um, Josh Bell go from the Nationals to the Padres in exchange for several players. We'll get that one momentarily. I think another one in the division, the Mets get Daniel Vogelbach from the Pirates. The NL East leading Mets added much-needed DH help in a deal with the Pirates. Uh, the uh, Yankees acquire all-star Andrew Bentendi from the Royals. Much needed uh, outfield help there. Um, Mets also acquired uh, Nanquin from the Reds. Uh, Mariners are going after a postseason berth, one of the longest postseason droughts in history. They're going to try it. They got Reds ace Luis Castillo, who Todd and I thought might go to the Atlanta Braves. So those are some big ones. Uh, the Dodgers get a little relief help from the Cubs with former Brave uh, Chris Martin. Um, let's see. Uh, what, what are some other ones? Uh, we'll go back. We'll talk about the big one, the Soto trade. That's the one that really made the di the difference. Uh, Soto now in the Padres lineup with Tatis. Uh, all this other power, will that get them past the Dodgers? That's the big question. I still don't think it will. I think the Dodgers are still better from top to bottom. I think they'll still win the West. Um, Wayne, any final thoughts on the MLB trade deadline? The, the, the Phillies also made a big move late and got uh, Noah Syndergaard from the Angels, who are complete sellers. Braves even got some of that. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, well, you know, Soto going to uh, Padres, I think that's a nice, bright thing for San Diego because uh, they really haven't had much uh, good things happen down there, so... Good, good on them for getting that trade done. Yeah, it's uh, it, it almost went down with uh, Eric Hosmer going to the Nationals. He vetoed that trade. Uh, the Dodgers take a chance on Joey Gallo, who was struggling with the Yankees. He, this was a puzzling move, but sometimes a change of scenery is all a player needs. And again, the the big one. Padres make Juan Soto blockbuster uh, superstar outfielder Juan Soto first baseman Josh Bell again I mentioned it Nationals 
Uh, they acquire left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore, outfielder Robert Hassel of third, shortstop C.J. Abrams, James Wood, uh, uh, Jarlin uh, Suno, Luke Boyd, heading back to Washington, handful of players. If I missed one, I was reading it quickly. But, man, what a blockbuster trade they made. Uh, I, I still, I, again, I just don't know if the Padres... I can't put them over the Dodgers yet. Even with the lineup they have right now, I just can't put them past the Dodgers. Just can't do it. If Tatis comes back and he's 100%, maybe they can catch him. But we'll go over Look, the the lineup is great. The pitching staff is great. Musgrove, Darvish, uh, Nia, Snell, Clevinger when he comes back. So uh, now look at this lineup. You're going to have... Uh, Bell, Cronesworth, Machado, Kim, Grisham, Soto, uh, Will Myers, Drury they added from the Reds as well. So plenty of power. Well, uh, again, the question is, will they catch up to the Dodgers who have owned that division for several years? That's what, that's what they're planning on doing. I, I can tell you that's the plan. That's the plan. That's how they spent. But sometimes the most active team isn't always – the best team at the deadline. Sometimes, you know, just stay and put, add in the player or two that you need, kind of like the Braves did, yeah. which I'll transition to the Braves now from the fast and ferocious MLB trade deadline. Look, the Braves acquired what they needed to. I uh, got a reliever in uh, Iglesias from Anaheim, the Los Angeles Angels, if you want to call them that, for Chavez and pitching prospect Tucker Davidson. Uh, they uh, acquired right-handed starter Jake Odorizzi. Excuse me. <laughs> stutter, stutter. Yeah. Today, I could, Junior. I, I couldn't even read that name correctly, I don't think, uh, in my head. It's Odorizzi. I just okay. stuttered like uh, Billy Madison, tut, 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 today, Junior. <laughs> uh, and that was for, straight up for Will Smith. Uh, Grossman from the Tigers for left-handed pitching prospect Chris Anglin. Ever since Duvall's injury, they're going to need another outfielder in that rotation. He'll pl- he'll platoon with Eddie Rosario, who had a great night Tuesday and a 13 to one win for the Braves. Um, Adrian Anza's back, big time player in the postseason run last year. Erie was acquired from uh, from Washington for outfielder Trey Harris. Um, but I think the biggest move is going to be Ozzy Albies. When he can come back and be healthy, that's better than any trade you could possibly have. Switch hitting, switch hitted, uh, switch hitting, left, right, tough matchup, great defense. When he comes back in uh, late August, early September, that's going to be a big push for the lineup. Kirby Yates coming back too in that lineup. Um, what's really going to be tough is who goes down. Dylan Lee, A.J. Minner are the only ones with options left in that bullpen. So you'd think it'd be Dylan Lee because A.J. Minner was part of that night shift last year that was so effective in the postseason. It's going to be interesting. Iglesias yeah. is going to fit right in. Well, you were, you were talking about that uh, the guy who would uh, switch, you know, switch hits uh, left and right. And uh, I don't know who it was, but there was a, a guy from the Far East that uh, was switching – sides every pitch 
Yeah, I don't remember. I think <laughs> I saw, I saw that. it. And I was like, I was like, if I were that pitcher, I think I'd try to nail that dude as he was trying to switch sides. <laughs> so that has to be annoying uh, yeah. as a pitcher. Just, just choose a side and move on with it. But yeah, the Braves did just enough. Alex Anthopoulos is never going to sit on his hands during a trade deadline. And I think he made the right moves for his ball club. Didn't get the outfielder. A lot of people were rumored to talk about his Jock Peterson coming back. Sorry, listeners, I can't talk today. I don't know what it is. But, yes, I think Albin's coming back. Yates coming back, getting healthy. Those two players will be better than any trade that could have been made at the deadline, uh, which was a blockbuster deadline, by the way. Everybody went. Everybody who you thought was going somewhere pretty much went somewhere except for Otani. And uh, that wraps up our trade deadline talk. Any final comments on trade deadline, Wayne, or the no. Braves? No. Let's move on. Interesting comments coming out of Tuscaloosa from head coach Nick Saban. Well, stop me if you've heard that yeah. before. Despite winning the SEC and playing UGA for the college football playoff national championship, Nick Saban said last year was a rebuild. Let's talk about what he means by this. He meant the last year was a rebuild because he lost a lot in the NFL draft. When you lose players the year before, like Mac Jones, a first-round quarterback, and then you lose Devontae Smith, the Heisman winner, uh, Yeah, I think you can consider it a rebuilding year. But let's be honest, let's flip the coin here. When you replace a first-round quarterback with the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young, who uh, happens to be my pick to win it again, uh, then you get an Ohio State transfer in Jamison Williams, who comes in and scores 15 touchdowns for you. I wouldn't call it a rebuild, and I wouldn't put that word in any sentence if you're Alabama. called reloading yeah just called rebuilding so i i think that's kind of what he meant i would take these comments with a grain of salt because it is nick saban and i feel like he does this stuff to stir his team up and also and to get us talking to get us talking yeah yeah and get us talking and guess what folks it worked (laughs) uh but look this is a rebuild in nick's nick saban standard if he doesn't win the championship it, it was a crap season so um but look this year bam is going to be just fine uh, i think they got arguably the two best players on both sides of the ball i told you i think bryce young is going to be the second ever back-to-back heisman trophy winning player uh, other than archie griffin and i think the secondary player is going to be will anderson jr linebacker unbelievable player probably the number one overall pick in next year's nfl draft so Bam will be just fine, folks. Wayne, your thoughts on uh, Nick Saban's uh, rebuild? <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not a rebuild. If you want to see a rebuild, uh, watch LSU and Florida this year. That's a rebuild. I mean, what what they're doing down in Tuscaloosa right now is, like you said, they're just reloading. Folks, if you like the content, give us a thumbs up. Give us a like, a subscribe. We are on Apple, Spotify. Leave us a review. Whatever you do. Just subscribe, hit that like button, follow us. But again, only if you like the content. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll move on to our final topic of the evening. The NFL is appealing quarterback Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. What are your thoughts? 
Wayne, I'll tee this one off, man. This this is uh this was a somber day for the NFL, in my opinion. Look, I, I was just looking it up. Ben Roethlisberger, when in 2010, got four games in a 16-game season. They now play 17. I think six games is not enough, especially when the New York Times uh, pointed out that there were 66 different women uh, therapists, uh, massage therapists, in 17 months while he was a Texan. And that's, again, per the New York Times. 30 women accusers. Why would you need that many women uh, to service your massage therapy needs? Why don't you just have a, a, a speed dial of maybe five or six that uh, three or four of them can't fit you in? Maybe the next two can. That's what puzzles me here. And again, uh, Ben Roethlisberger got four games. This seems like a slap on the wrist when, uh, and it was for one woman. Um, again, this is 30 women. Uh, he settled out of court with, I think, all but one now off the top of my head. This just isn't a good look. I, I think a season would be the accurate suspension. But look, I'm not a judge. I'm not one holding the evidence in this case. I'm just a giving an opinion. But if you look at it, six games, we'll see what the appeal brings. Wayne, your thoughts. Well, you know, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, and I, I can't help but compare it to the Calvin Ridley situation. A guy who uh, admitted to betting on a, a game, $1,500. He didn't play in the game, and he bet on Atlanta to win. He gets a whole season off. Uh, I just, to the, those two just don't seem to equal out. Yeah, not at all to me. Uh, moving on to our closing thoughts of the show. Uh, the Braves start a crucial five-game series in New York versus the Mets Thursday, including a doubleheader on Saturday. This could really make or break the NL East race. Wayne, your closing thoughts on the show this evening, buddy. Well, I'd like to be excited about uh, baseball this year, but uh, the only exciting thing I could say is, uh, you know, we'll see what Texas can do with uh, the new player they got from Georgia State. We'll see what happens. Coming around uh, under 30 days for kickoff. Remember, week zero is the 27th. You do have a Big Ten matchup that weekend. Folks, that wraps it up. For Wayne, for TC, who's on vacation, I'm JJ. Thanks for listening to another edition of ATL Prime Sports. Get you one. We'll see you next week.